All right. So we are going to start with a medrash. Okay. Yeah. Let's start with a the medrash. There's a medrash in Tankuma. And if I if if I recycled this, if this feels recycled, some of it is from last year, but still, you know, the, to make the same points over again just simply means that we're going to drill down on the importance of the message here. So there's a Pusik in Parshas Naso that tells us about what happened on the, the, the day that the Mishkan was consecrated, the day that the Mishkan um, was per, began, it's the, the, the Avoida and everything that was going on. So the words that are used to introduce that part of the story, the narrative, are Vayihi B'yayim Kalis Moshe. And it was on the day that Moshe finished building the Mishkan. So the Medrash jumps up and asks the question that we all know that the word Vayihi always is a Lashon of Tsar, of pain, of suffering, something's the matter, something's wrong. So the Medrash asks, you would imagine that the day that the Mishkan was built was a day of great Simcha. So what is the sadness? What is missing? What is wrong? What is broken about the building of the Mishkan? So listen to what the Medrash says. We won't go through the whole Medrash, but just the basic, the basic idea. Amar Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachman. Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachman says, At the time that Hashem created the world, he had a taiva, he had a desire to have a dira, which is usually translated as a dwelling place, but it means more like a home. He wanted a home down on this earth. Just like he has a kiseha kavod up in Shemayim. He has a home in Shemayim Kaviachal. So too, he wanted to have a dira betachtainim. He wanted to have a, a dwelling place, a home here on planet earth. So what did he do? Bara esa adam. He created man. Vitziva isai, and he commanded him va'amarlay, and he said to man, "Nikol eitzagan achal teichal." From all of the trees in the gan in the garden, you should eat. And from the tree of eitzadas, the tree of knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and bad, don't eat from it. So what happens, of course? Va'avral tzivav. Man transgressed and didn't listen to what Hashem commanded. Hashem said to, 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 to man, I wanted to have a place down here on planet Earth that I can call my home. In all the things that I, in all the way that I run planet Earth, I wanted to have one place that could be called my home, my home base. And I commanded you to do one thing. And you didn't listen to what I said. Right away, Hashem removed his shechina up one rakia. You know, there's seven rakias, there are seven firmaments, there are seven um, uh, levels or frequencies, all different ways of understanding what, what that means. But essentially, Hashem removed himself, one of the rakias, from planet Earth. 
And the Medrash goes on and says, you know, when Cain killed Hevel, went up a notch, seven notches, seven different Averis, seven different ways that man transgressed. And the Shekhinah continued to move up until finally the Shekhinah was found only in Shemayim. And there was not a Shekhinah that had a place down here on planet Earth. So this taiva that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had, this, this desire that Hashem had, to have a dira in Tabatachtoinim was essentially ruined by man. What happened? Every generation starting from Avraham, Avraham brings down the Rakia to one, the, brings down the Shekhinah, one Rakia, Yitzchak another, Yaakov another, etc., 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 until Moshe Rabbeinu comes, Ahmad Moshe Vaharidala Aretz. Moshe brings the Shekhinah back down to planet Earth to finally bring the Shekhinah down from Shemayim down to planet Earth. And when is that time that the moment that the Shekhinah touches back to planet Earth? When the Mishkan was reinstated. What's the pshat of this Medrash? So the Medrash is telling us the aside here that really goes to the heart of everything that we're, we're beginning to discuss about Tishabav. And that is that we think that the Khurban Beis HaMikdash begins with the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. But the truth of the matter is that the Khurban Beis HaMikdash began with the building of the Beis HaMikdash, with the building of the Mishkan. Because the truth is that the Khurban Beis HaMikdash started at that moment when Adam and Chava ate from the Eitz Adas. Why? Because the entire Beis HaMikdash, the entire purpose of the Beis HaMikdash was that the Rabbi Nishalim should have a dira b'tachtainim. But that wasn't the initial plan. The initial plan was that Hashem would have a dira b'tachtainim, Hashem would have a dwelling place down here on planet Earth. And what was that dwelling place? Me, you, Adam. Adam was the home. Adam was the place that, that Hashem was going to exist in. So says the Rishoner, the Rishoner explains, and it was on the day that Moshe finished building the Mishkan that the, that the Shekhinah came down back to planet Earth and was firmly planted in planet Earth, says the Rishoner, that's why the word Vayehi is used as a Lushan of Tsar. Because there's a there's something already broken in the building of a building that would that Hashem would exist in in that edifice that was already a zechel a korban, the building of the base of Mikdash, the building of the Mishkan itself beget, begins already the zechel a korban. So you see, it's not just that when the Gemara teaches us whoever whichever generation does not see the Mishkan re, the base of Mikdash rebuilt in their lives it's it's ke'ilu like they destroyed it that's not just a nice idea that by the way do tshuva no in fact the entire purpose of the base of Mikdash is to to the, the entire purpose of the base of Mikdash is having a dir batakhtainum and the base of Mikdash itself is not meant to be the ultimate dir batakhtainum which says to us somehow that when Mashiach comes and we're all waiting for the day of the third Beis HaMikdash to be rebuilt, 
there is something about the third base of Mikdash that is going to be very funky. It's going to be very different than the first two Batim Mikdashas. And that is that somehow the third base of Mikdash is going to be human in some way. That the third base of Mikdash is going to be an extension of every one of us. Like, almost like the flesh of every one of us. When we are kids and we hear things like, you know, every mitzvah you do builds another brick of the base of Mikdash. It's not, it's not a joke. It's not a, it's not a cutesy little thing. The idea is, is that the base of Mikdash represents each and every one of us actualized, each and every one of us built, each and every one of us grown. The Rabbi Shalom wants to have a place on planet Earth, infinity inside the lowest levels of, of materiality. And that's initially what Adam was, was made to be. And so everything that we're going to talk about is really just going to be about understanding the symbolism between the Beis HaMikdash the Churban Beis HaMikdash, and the Binyan Kaimasa Adam, the building of the stature of man. Because in effect, the entire story of the building of the Beis HaMikdash and the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash and the purpose of build, rebuilding the third Beis HaMikdash really boils down to as a, as a symbolism for each and every human being to become the Dira B'Tachtanim that HaKadosh Baruch Hu originally created each and every one of us to be. Okay? Okay. So move, we're going to move into the Gemara. The Gemara teaches us, let me see if I can, if I can actually share my screen. And, and you'll, you'll be able to follow along on the screen. One second. If you're interested, you can follow along with us here. If you want, you could read the English underneath, underneath the Hebrew. It's the beauty of Safaria. Okay. Rabbi Shimon ben Pazi, Rabbi Shimon ben Pazi, Rami, he asks a contradiction. He points out a contradiction. Ksiv, it says in the Pasuk, that Hashem made the two big lights that existed in the world. And it also says, the big light and the small light, the sun and the moon. So Reb Shimon ben Pazi is coming to address the seeming contradiction. First, the Torah says, first the Pasuk tells us that these are the two big lights that are in the sky. And then the Pasuk tells us the big light and the small light. So what's going on here? So he, said, he explains with the following allegorical agada. Amra, Yareach, the the moon said to Hashem, Master of the world, is it possible for two kings to use the same crown? Simply put, you, the Rabbi Nishlein, created the moon and the sun together to be two, two crowns, two kings, and somehow you want the two of us to do the same job. You want us to be the kings of light. And you want us to wear the same crown. How is that possible? As the morale explains, the morale explains that malchus, kingship, means anyone who has the capacity to bring everything aligned into one 
unity. That's the definition of Malchus. That's called Kabbalah's Al-Malchus because the Malchus of something means when everything is integrated into one complete, pure unity. So the moon says to Hashem, so the two of us are the, are the kings of light. And we're, we're, not the same, we're not the same being. So how is that possible? We should, both be, we should both be kings at the same time to wear one crown. So everyone knows this Gemara, or at least until the end of the sentence. Amar la, Hashem says to the moon, what? Go and diminish yourself. Which all the Svarim come along and explain whatever it is that they explain. You know, the moon gets punished because the moon was jealous, or the moon gets punished because the moon had gaiva. The moon gets punished because she, uh, she was complaining about the way Hashem ran things, etc., etc., etc. But most people don't read the next lines of the Gemara. So let's read the next lines of the Gemara. So the moon says back to Hashem after Hashem after. The, the Hashem tells the Erech to go make herself smaller. So the moon says back to Hashem, Amr Lafanav, she says to him, back to Hashem, Rabbi Shalai, the master of the world, if I said something to you that was correct, I should go and, and diminish myself. In other words, you, Hashem, responded to me with an Eitzah. You gave me a piece of advice. You told me to go, you, you thought, which means that you agree with what I said. You agree with my question. So if you agreed, if I said something correct, so why should I go make myself smaller? Amar la, Hashem says to her, You go and rule by day and by night. Excluding the sun. Even though you're going to be smaller, you can be in the sky 24 hours a day. The sun can't be in the sky 24 hours a day. You be in the sky 24 hours a day, right? There are places in the world that you can go and see the moon in the middle of the day. Amralei, so the moon replies back to Hashem. My Rabusa, the Shire Gibbet Tahira, what am I going to add to the day? It'll be like a candle in the middle of the sun. What am I going to add? I, there's nothing for me to add. It's not an achama to me that I get to uh, uh, rule by day. So Maya honey, what is this worth? What, what am I going to do? So Hashem responds, Amr Lay, Amr Lay says to her, says to the moon, Zil limnu Yisrael yamam Go and let the Jewish people count and calculate their days and their years, not the months, right? That's the end of the Gemara. Let the Jewish people calculate their days and their years based on the moon. What, what does that mean? We'll, we'll see if we get to, to address that. So the moon replies back to Hashem. The days, I can't, they, you can't use the moon to calculate the days. The days are calculated by the suns. And, and, and the seasons are also calculated by the sun. The like it says in the Pasuk, the sun is, the, is what we use to calculate the days and the seasons. So that answer is not going to work either. So Hashem tries again. Zil likrut sadiki Go and find 
there are tzaddikim that are going to be called in your name. What does it mean in your name? Yaakov HaKatan, Shmuel HaKatan, and David HaKatan. You, the moon, were, were just called the Ma'ar HaKatan, the small, the small light. So have some sort of nechama because there are tzaddikim that are called katanim. Yaakov is called the katan. Shmuel, it doesn't mean Shmuel Anavi, it means there was a certain tana, whatever the story was. And David HaMelech is called the katan. So again, you should have a, a nechama because there are tzaddikim that are called that are called katan, like you. Chazi daita. The Rabbi saw that the moon did not have a Yishavadas. Amra Kadish Borko Hashem said, Heviu Kapara Alai They will bring a kapara on me that I made the sun go small, that I made the moon go small. Behind the and this is what Reish Lakish says, Manishtana Seir Shorish what is different about the, the, the goat that they brought as a carbon for Rashkaidesh? Shenemra by La Hashem. The Pasik says in last week's parish and parshas Pinchas, Khatas La Hashem, you bring a carbon La Hashem. Why why does it mean La Hashem? This extra word of Hashem in there. Amar Kadish Baruch, Kadish Baruch said, "Sayer Zayi Kapara Al Shemita She Al Shemi Tatti Esayereh." This sayer, this goat, is going to be a kapara on this that I was I made the moon diminish herself. The end of this Gemara seems to be telling us something very different than the way we under, generally understand the pshat in this Gemara. Most of us understand this Gemara to say that the moon was punished, the moon did something wrong, and the moon was told to basically, you know, go and be small, like, like stop. But at the end of this Gemara, the Gemara says very, very clearly that the Rabbi said on himself that they will have to bring a kapara for me that I made the moon go small. And this is a, 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 a kasha that's asked by everyone. What does that mean? What's going on here that the Rabbanu Shalom is taking upon himself, which, by the way, he does not go back and, and tell the moon, okay, go back and grow yourself. He stays with that. Go be small. But the Rabbanu Shalom says that there has to be a kapara somehow, in some way, kaviyachal, the Rabbanu Shalom is taking it upon himself and saying, I did something wrong. Somehow, somewhere, I did something wrong. What's going on? What's happening? What is this whole Gemara? What is the purpose of all of this Medrash, of, of this Agadita? One second. Sorry. Okay. So it comes along, of course, Rav Cook. And without going into all the details of how Rav Cook explains this, and using a little bit of my own my own editorializing. Here's the way Rav Cook explains this. Rav Cook says that this entire story of the sun and the moon has to be understood in, in looking at the secrets of the soul. And he says the sun <clears throat> represents the great power of the intellect. And the moon represents the great power of our emotions, of the heart, of our emotions. 
And he explains the Gemara as follows. <laughs> using, using a little bit of, of, of understanding here. The moon, and the, sun, the moon and the sun, essentially, are meant to be one entity. That's the intellect and our emotions. They're meant to be one, in, they're meant to be one entity. When those two things work, bekeser echad, when those two things work completely together, integrated, harmonious, where the intellect takes knowledge and feeds it to the emotions, and the emotion takes, takes feeling and feeds it to the intellect, and the wisdom of the the wisdom of the emotions and the beauty of the intellect are harmonized and integrated, and it's one whole entity. That is the essential way that human beings were initially meant to be. That is the way humanity was initially created. Came along the moon, one the one half, the feminine half of this entity of this or and says you know that there are things that the intellect can do that the emotions can't do namely the way Rav Cook explains it is that the intellect has the capacity to see contradictions the intellect has the ability to understand and hold two different realities emotions don't when I feel something the stronger I feel it the more it excludes other feelings it's, it's almost impossible to feel two things at the same time. If I have the capacity to experience different feelings, it means that I have the capacity to pay attention to different feelings at once. But says Rav Cook, so the moon comes to Hashem with a taina and says to, and says to Hashem, this, how is this going to work? It doesn't, it, it doesn't seem to work. The intellect has to do what the intellect does and the emotions have to do what the emotions do. So Hashem says, go be mamayit yourself, not as a punishment, but as a way of saying, in order for people to experience emotions, they need to feel vulnerable. Vulnerability. That's the capacity to experience emotions, right? Vulnerability. Go and make yourself smaller. Vulnerability. So the emotions stand up and say to Hashem, oh, you understand something about us. You, obviously, Hashem created. But the emotions go back and forth with Hashem without getting into the details of what the back and forth was for a minute. Without, without going through, we'll skip that for a minute. We'll skip, we'll skip that. We'll skip what it is the emotions argument is. But essentially, the emotions are saying to Hashem, where are you putting us? What's going on here? And says Rav Cook that at the end of the day, this idea that the emotions were told to make themselves smaller means that no one has the capacity to be fully emotionally actualized. No one has the capacity to be fully expanded and to be fully sophisticated because there's always something in our emotional world that has a mute. There's always something about our emotions that is lacking something. There's always something in which the human being has to become vulnerable in order to experience emotions. That means there's some form of nephila, there's some form of brokenness that has to happen, some form of stepping down from the, the godless of the intellect. The intellect is this big ma'or ha'gadol, and the emotions are ma'or ha'kata. 
which is why the worst emotion you can experience is shame, because shame is the opposite of because shame means the means destruction. It doesn't mean vulnerability. It's the opposite of vulnerability. If, you, if you've been reading your Brene Brown, right? The opposite of shame is vulnerability. The lechiyum ati means, yeah, you're going to be ma'or hakatan, and that katnus is really what I want to what I want us to address. At the end of the day, the what Rav Cook explains at the end of the Gemara. Rav Kook says, Hashem says to the moon, I know that human beings with the, the capacity for emotions, I know that human beings are not ever going to be fully actualized in this life. I know it. I, I know. And I know that because the emotions are going to be complicated and people are never going to be fully emotionally actualized, therefore, there's, that means that human beings are never going to be perfect. And all the things that I want out of humanity, it's never going to be 100% perfect. So that means that there's going to be a pagam. There's going to be something missing in the Avodah Hashem of every one of you. I know that. And I take that on myself. In whatever way I am telling the moon to go decrease itself and diminish itself, I understand that there's something missing. There's something lacking that human beings are not going to be in their full binion. They're not going to be fully, completely their own. And therefore, Hashem says, when every Rosh Chodesh, when, when we bring a carbon, it's going to be somewhat a kapara on myself that I, I made it so that you as a human being can never be fully emotionally sophisticated. And of course, if we, if we look at what the Pesukim tell us, that at the times of Mashiach, then the Or Halavana is going to be refilled and is going to be complete and is going to grow. And it'll be the same size as the Or of the, of the Shemesh. And it will bring us back to this point that we started with, which is that the, the original sin, the original Avera that was done by Adam, which began the receiving of the Shekhinah from this world that began the destruction of the Dira Batachtayna that the Rabbani Shalom wanted, the beginning of that is connected to this whole Indian of the Miat Hayareach, of the diminishing of the, of the moon. That is to say that the human beings cannot be completely actualized, cannot be completely fully individualized. And it'll come that time when Mashiach comes, when each one of us will have the full actualization of who we are. Ad Khan Chelek Aleph. Chaim. Let's pull this a little, a little bit deeper. <clears throat> the Shlach Kodesh says that at the beginning of time, when Hashem had the intentions of building the world, and, it, and, and we, we had a Mishkan, we built a Mishkan, and then later on, Davina Melech wanted to build a Beis HaMikdash, a permanent Mishkan, and then there was a Korban Beis HaMikdash Bayes Rishon, a Korban Beis HaMikdash Bayes Sheni. And what we're waiting for and hoping for is the third Beis HaMikdash. So the Shlach Kaddish points out the, the some different Lashayness in the Gemara about how the Rabbi wants to build the third Beis HaMikdash and Hashem's waiting to build the third Beis HaMikdash. And the Shlach Kaddish 
in a, in a very poetic uh, sentence, says that this that the Rabbanu Shalom is waiting to build the third base of Mikdash means that Hashem was waiting to build the third base of Mikdash in the beginning of time. And in order to build the third base of Mikdash, he needed to build one base of Mikdash, destroy it, build the second base of Mikdash, destroy it, in order to build the third base of Mikdash. Which means that the entire purpose of destruction is for the purpose of rebuilding. And this is the aside we've, we've mentioned many, many times, right? Why in Shema Nesri don't we talk about health? Because we don't want health. We want Rafua. Rafua is a higher darga than health. Everyone gets sick. But when our bodies learn to fight our sicknesses and we're able to go from being sick to having a Rafua, then we have a higher level of, of health. It's the same thing why we don't we don't really certainly certainly act in certainly in, in our tefillas we daven we don't necessarily daven for tzidkus much earlier on in Shmanesri we daven for Hashivish we daven for Hashivenu Hashem Elacha Tshuva we daven for Tshuva I maybe we should daven that we should never do sin no 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 we know you're going to do sin because you're on a higher darga when you do Tshuva than if you didn't sin at all. Now, okay, that doesn't, that's not, it's a scary place to go because it doesn't mean that we're telling anyone to go do Averis. But what we want to discuss, what we want to get into is this very Jungian concept, which is the exact counterintuitive way of thinking about things. We want to address what is the secret behind the miut hayereach? What is the secret behind this diminishing that took place. Because as we know, if the Areach was told to diminish itself and the moon, the Levana says back to Hashem and Hashem acquiesces to the moon, even though he doesn't change the moon's nature, but Hashem acquiesces to the moon. That means that this miut, this diminishing that takes place of the moon has some kedusha to it that HaKadosh Baruch Hu acknowledges has negative aspects to it, but there's something holy about it. And I think it's the same holiness that exists in the words, Mishanichnas av mema'atin besimcha, diminish with simcha, the diminishing of the moon and the diminishing of the simcha in the month of av, all boils down to understanding the aside of all evil, and understanding the aside of all darkness. And that is to say that it is only through diminishing, it is only through darkness, it is only through those things in our lives that provide us the greatest tension, that are the greatest sources of resistance, that are the greatest darknesses. It is only in those places that people have the capacity to really, really grow and to really become. So I want to read something to you. This was written by someone who's not necessarily well-known. Um, but I want to read to you uh, something that I, that I received recently from a, a student of Young. And he writes, he writes as follows. There is an old alchemical idea, right? Alchemy. 
that's that's the old magical uh, uh, way of turning turning you know metals into gold. There's an old alchemical idea that goes only the wound heals. That the wound is the healer is a very simple observation. It is indeed the wound that heals and not the healthy parts of the body or the psyche. And that of course has an implication for the manifestations of our dreams as well. For the big desires of the heart, such as finding healing or a loved one or creative inspiration, we have to include the problem, wound or challenge in the manifestation. It is only out of that wounded place that will sprout the flower. Um, I'm sorry, out of that wounded place will sprout the flower that we search for. Again, out of that wounded place will sprout the flower that we search for. I want to say that a third time. Out of that wounded place will sprout the flower that we search for. Plus, when we start with the wound and allow life to generate a flower, Instead of us telling life what flower we should have, then we come to a soul flower instead of an ego-generated flower. The flower that is created by life will be more interesting and beautiful than the one we can come up with ourselves. And this kind of goes back to discussions we've had about ego versus soul. That the ego uses force. The ego has all these great ideas, the intellect. The ego uses the intellect all day long. All these ideas about how, what I need and where I should go and what, what's the best thing I should choose and where I'm, where I'm going and what I'm doing and choices that I make, that's all the intellect. That's the or hagadol of the, of the intellect. By day, when things are going well, the intellect can shine above way and beyond. All you need to have is a little bit of, uh, of a creative mind and you can come up with the greatest ideas possible. And, and if you're really, really smart, you can find the right people to uh, uh, put those ideas into, uh, um, into reality and build a technological revolution like, we, like we've seen the last 300 years, certainly the last 20 years. All the intellect, all the ma'ar hagadol of the intellect, Logically speaking, if you want to find the best you, go to the best places that you know where you exist. If you want to know where you shine, go to the places where you're successful. That's what the intellect would tell you. But what we just read, to go back to that, that sentence and read that again for as many times as we can, out of that wounded place will sprout the flower that we search for. Out of that wounded place will sprout the flower that we search for. The miut hayareach, the diminishment of the areach, if you ask me, the miut hayareach means the unconscious, or in Jungian terms, it means the shadow. Every time the intellect shines on something, it casts a shadow on the other side of that thing. And the shadow is a darker place. It's a darker place in, in the world. And that darker place represents the moon. 
represents nighttime and represents the light, not the light that shines in the dark, but the light of darkness. It's the light of darkness. That's the moon. It's the light, that flower that can emanate from that wound is a flower that A, the whole world has been searching for since the beginning of time, because that, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that in a minute without getting ahead of ourselves. The flower that, can, that is born out of that wound is the flower of refua. It's the flower of tshuva. It's the flower of rebirth. It's the flower of building something greater than, was, than what was before. It's the flower of Mashiach. It's the flower of the third base Amikdash. The whole purpose of Tishabav is to grieve. The whole purpose of Tishabav, the Shlach says, the Shlach asks, why, why should you sit on the floor in Tishabav? I mean, you know, we're not, we're, not, we're not nihilists. We're not meant to say that life is bad. Yish is a terrible thing. Why should we sit on the floor in Tishabav? So he gives, he gives three answers. He gives three answers. One second. Three answers. First answer is when a person thinks about the tremendous loss that they have in the Korban. So then it'll remind him of, of the Averis that he's done. Okay. Now, before we get ahead of ourselves, before we get into the, the, the simple understanding we have of that, let's understand what he means. If the whole purpose of the, of the Beis HaMikdash was really in and of itself a representation of man himself, so that means that Chorban Beis HaMikdash is the dark places within ourselves that we haven't yet built. To remember, to remember the Averis that we've done is not shame-inducing. It's the opposite. The Averis are the shadow. The Averis are the, the Ruach Shtus that enters our minds, that take us over, that we don't really have consciousness about, that we don't really have within our control. To look at my Averis means to look at those areas in my life where, I, where I'm wounded, where I am not myself, where there's this moon-like emotional unconscious shadowy resistance that's pushing against all of my intellect and that with my intellect I feel like I just want to destroy but if I can have some of the beauty of what the moon says I want to embrace the darkness as much as I can I want to get to know it as much as I can so it comes the time for Tishabav and we sit down on the floor and we say kinnis and we sit in the darkness because grief and mourning is the way that we approach everything that's broken. Grief and mourning is the language that's spoken in the dark. Grief and mourning is the language of process, of paying attention, of getting to know, and allowing for flowers to sprout in the middle of that darkness. Because grief and mourning is all about transformation. Grief and mourning is all about allowing the parts of ourselves that I haven't yet been in touch with to expand and grow. No one should ever have to go through the loss of losing a loved one or the loss of not having the things in life that they need. But that's a real reality in our lives. No one can turn around and say, you know, you lost this and this for the purpose of making you transform that or that. 
No one can do that. No one has the right to do that. And anyone who does do that is just, is just, it's just an, uh, an animal. And at the same time, without knowing a, a deep reason, it's called the Said Hagalas, why Hashem makes pain in this world, we'll never know. <clears throat> this that Hashem said that the moon should be diminished, Hashem says that's going to be a kapara on me. All the pain that exists in the world, all the tishabas and all the holocausts and all the persecutions, no one is allowed to give a reason for that. And at the same time, once we have been able to deal with shame, once we have been able to conquer and get over shame, to have the fortitude to be vulnerable and humble, to look and take a close look at those things that are dark about me, to take a look at those things that are shadowy about me, and to allow myself to fall apart and live in a gullus for 2,000 years for the sake of being broken so that flowers can sprout and grow from the middle of that wound. That's the whole tachlis of Tishabav. The entire tachlis of Tishabav is, Rabbi Nachman says, to go from kinas, the letters kinas, kuf yud nun vav saf, and, and switch it around to tikkun. It's only through tears, it's only through grief, it's only through mourning, it's only through process, through speaking it out. What does the Pasuk say? The Pasuk says by Noach, I've shared this with you before. The Pasuk says, by Nochem Hashem Alashardiber El Noach or something. After, after Hashem brought the Mabel, so Hashem had a Nechama from all the things that he spoke to Noach. So I think, I forget who it was. I think it was the Chassam Seifer, the Alshech HaKadosh. The Alshech HaKadosh says, what is the Nechama that Hashem had? The Nechama that Hashem had was he spoke out his anger to Noach. He spoke out his anger to Noach. To speak it out. To, to not be afraid to look at those areas within myself that I would call dark. And to sit with those things and not even necessarily fix them directly but to allow myself to learn what is trying to be spoken through me in these dark places. What is Hashem asking of me in these dark places? And sometimes it requires a lot of listening. It could be years of listening. But for each and every one of us to understand that transformation can never happen with the sun. Transformation can never happen in the sun with the intellect. Transformation can only happen when I have the capacity and the, and, the, and the audacity to stand in the middle of the night and to ask questions, what is going on here? What is happening here? The secret of the Levana, the secret of the moon, which is the secret of all femininity, is the capacity to allow something to germinate, to allow something to process to allow something to unfold, to allow an emotional experience of being connected with those darker places within myself, to allow and know, as Rav Cook says, as we, we've said many, many times, Saif Davar, the end of times, everything, Saif Akol, everything's in a state of Aliyah, everything's in a state of, of becoming more Kadosh, everything's in a state of sweetening. It's not... It's not something we have to necessarily do. It's not a masculine intellectual thing we do. It's a feminine unfolding that's happening for, for each and every one of us. 
the journey towards the coming of Mashiach, the recognition that Tzipisali Yeshua is the recognition that we are in the midst of a journey that's growing, that's coming, that's happening, that each and every one of us is in a state of becoming. And if you want to tap in to know what is Hashem wanting from me, I have to tap in to that dark place. We'll kind of close it, close it up. There's a story with the Rizhoner. The Rizhoner was sitting in jail on Purim. And he was very, very, very uh, uh, sad. And he said to the Rabbi Nishlein, you know, I, I have never not been Mekai in the midst of Mishlach Manos. <coughs> the Megillah I can say by heart, but Mishlach Manos, I need someone else to give Shalach Manos to. And I don't have anyone to give Shalach Manos to. So there's different ways that the story is said, but the Rizhoner said, I'll take the two tears from my eyes and I'll give them to you as Mishlach Manos. And you, Rabbi Nishlein, give me two drops of Simcha. And that way you'll give me Mishlach Manos and I'll give you Mishlach most of us think that the darkness in our lives are things that we, we should reject. The intellect says we should reject all the darkness in our lives. Most of us think that we should run away. We should spiritualize. We should, you know, be happy anyway. Most of us are afraid, or maybe not, maybe not us, but many, many people are afraid of looking at the darkness of looking at what hurts, of looking at in what way I might be being called to transform through all of that darkness. Not to transform the darkness per se, that's Hashem's job, but to allow myself to be transformed through the darkness. The Rishner was saying to Hashem, Hashem, I'll give you my tears. Do you know what that means to give your tears to God? You know, I was thinking that what was Hashem listening to when Hashem was hearing and receiving those two tears from the Rizhoner? I was thinking that Hashem was saying, you know, you actually get, you, the Rizhoner, get the entire purpose of pain. If you can give me your tears, what that means is, is you recognize that the greatest and sweetest gift that I can get is your tears. The sweetest gift that I can get is your capacity to look at your tsar and to know that there's something in your pain that's meaningful, that there's something in your pain that has the capacity to transform you and maybe even transform the whole world. Hashem says, that's the greatest gift you can give me. It's mishloach manos. It's the sweetest act of kindness and love that a person can give to their rabbi is my sadness and my pain. Without transforming it, without fixing it, the Rishner wasn't saying, take away my, pa my pain. The Rishner was saying, I'm giving you a gift of my pain. So, you know, sometimes, sometimes we think that we have no Yeshua in life. Sometimes we think that all is over, all is done, everything is finished. Sometimes we think that our job is to focus only on the positive, and to forget the negative. Sometimes we think that the negative is a sign of our failure. But the truth is that the things that are negative about us are the greatest portals into transformation, the greatest portals into our tzidkas. It takes a tremendous amount. Sometimes it takes a lifetime. Sometimes it takes generations for people to wake up and say, 
I don't want the Holocaust to be in my rearview mirror. I want the Holocaust to somehow ask me, what do I want to transform about me? I want the abuse I've been through to transform me somehow. I want the pain that I suffer from whatever's lacking in my life to be a darkness that makes me look into the deeper parts of myself, that the things that I yearn for that I haven't yet gotten, I want to never, ever stop dreaming. I want to never, ever stop yearning. I never want to stop craving. I always want to be alive in, a, in, a, in, in, in an experience of imperfection because that way I know that there's something there for me to transform. The miut, the diminishing of light that takes place during this time is the prism through which the Or of Hashem now casts beautiful shadows, beautiful, beautiful pictures. It's a prism. It's not a prison. It's a prism that, that alters and changes and creates such beautiful, magnificent art, artistry. Those negative aspects to ourselves, they're not just contours. They're not just, you know, adding personality to who we are. They are, this, they, are the place, they are the places within ourselves that hold the deepest, deepest secrets to who we can become and to who we are becoming, generation after generation after generation. The Eurydus Hadaris, the concept of Eurydus Hadaris now during this time, during the Ikvas of the Mashiach, we understand that Yeridas Hadaris doesn't mean that we are getting worse. It means that we are getting smaller. And the smaller we're getting means that the more darkness there is. And the more darkness there is means that there's the more capacity for transformation we have. Never before in the history of the world has there been such a capacity for personal transformation. Never, never. That a simple person can become great like each and every one of us has already done in our lives and do great things. Never before has there ever been such a, a capacity. The concept of Yuri the Sadaris is the concept of the Yemiyah It's the concept of all of Golas. It's the concept of all Tsar, of all pain. Everything that exists, exists for the purpose of each and every one of us to not be afraid, to look into the darkness, to see that which hurts, to see that which is dark, and to allow us to be called, to transform, to become, so that the flowers that grow out of the wounds of all the pain that we've experienced for the thousands of years we've been alive and the decades we've been alive individually can be seen as the potholders for the most magnificent beings that we were initially meant to be and to restore the arach, to restore the moon, to restore the femininity to the masculinity and restore each and every one of us to being the fullness of who we are so the Rebbein can be Adir betachtainim in each and every one of us, individually, as a tzibur, as a world, the coming of Mashiach and the building, building of the third base of Mikdash, a good Shabbos.